All right. So we're going to go ahead and jump into the message this morning. We started a new series last week called Closer. Uh, this is going to be a five or six week series, depending on how things go. Maybe a little longer, maybe a little shorter. I was kind of, you know, let the Lord kind of lead in those areas. But really the point of this series is kind of, a, a, as we kind of hit into 2023, is to allow the Lord to kind of bring us closer through this time, through this fast. But also I believe that God wants to do this in our hearts and our lives and our church throughout this year. Is really allow us to come closer to Him. And as we come closer to Him, obviously every other relationship that we have in our life will also uh, grow and become more what God wants it to be. As we talked about last week, there's this concept that Jesus talks about where when we uh, put first him and his kingdom, that everything else God will take care of. God will bring everything back into alignment when we start there. And so we've been talking about this idea of being closer uh, and... um, Last week we talked about this concept that we see as, as basically um, where when we will do something that God will also respond to that. We have to be working on that first. This is really going to be, this message this morning is really going to be kind of two ideas or really kind of two things. First, this is going to be kind of a part two of last week. So if you didn't hear last week's series, our message, you don't have to have heard that to hear this one. But it will kind of come together a little bit and you'll see how, why or how that's going to happen in a minute. And number two, this is going to be... more of a teaching. Now, I've had people ask me, Aaron, what's the difference between a message and a teaching? And here's here's the real big theological answer. I don't know. I don't know. I'll be honest with you. It's just kind of, to me, I'm sure sure there's somebody out there that could tell you or you could Google it and you could find out how. I I, I think for me, it's just kind of how it feels as I'm putting it together. And, and there's, there's things that, that we're going to be talking about today that I kind of feel are more teaching things because I want us to understand this principle. And I believe that this is a very biblical principle. I think it's a very important truth that we understand because I really think this is something that can transform our lives. And so it is going to be kind of part two of last week, but it's also going to be more of a teaching type of, of message. And so I just wanted you to understand that and see that again. What does that mean? Who knows? We'll find out together. But we're going to be, our text this morning is going to be in First Kings. And so we're going to kind of look at First Kings. We're going to read this together. We're going to go through the entire uh, story or text that we're going to be using this morning. And then we're going to kind of go back and we're going to kind of look at some things together. So we're going to be in First Kings. So if you have your Bibles or you have your, uh, an app or whatever, you can open your Bibles up to First Kings chapter 3. We're going to start with reading um, verse number 2 and uh, go all the, well, skip verse 6, but go from there to verse number 14. So this is what it says. It says, at that time... The people of Israel sacrificed offerings at local places of worship, for a temple honoring the name of the Lord had not yet been built. Solomon loved the Lord and followed all the decrees of his father, David, except that Solomon too offered sacrifices and burned incense at the local places of worship. The most important of these places of worship was at Gibeon, so the king went there and sacrificed a thousand burnt offerings. That night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and he said, what do you want? Ask and I will give it to you. Now let's jump to verse number seven. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made me king instead of my father, David. But I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people and a nation so great and numerous they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has had or ever will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. Let's pray. Father, we we come to you right now. And Father, as as we look to you to help us to see and understand your word. God, I pray that you would just open our hearts. That God, that you would just, through your Holy Spirit, you would open our hearts and our minds to receive what you desire for us to receive this morning. 
That God, that you would just help us. That God, that you would just come into that place in our heart that we need you to, 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 to enter into so that we can just open our hearts up to what you have. Because I believe, God, this is an important truth that we need to understand. I believe it's an important truth that you've laid on our hearts today for this time as we enter into this 21-day fast in this time. So God, I pray that you would help us. And God, that you would help me to share exactly what you desire for me to share. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, some of this is, is, is going to be uh, somewhat review, but obviously this is a very, you know, known story. This is a story, obviously, where Solomon asks for wisdom. God gives him wisdom, and it's this, this great story. Now, obviously, we know that Solomon does a great job for a while, but then his heart is turned and doesn't end up so well. But we do know that we see this very interesting story that a lot of people know. A lot of people, if you walked to them on the street and said, who is the wisest person that ever lived? Some people would know, oh, that was Solomon, or that was that king in the Bible that was real smart and, and said he'd cut a baby baby in half. That guy, you know, that comes later. If you don't know what I'm talking about, please talk to me after service, okay? So Solomon comes and he begins this, this journey of, of being a king and he really starts here in, in, in 1 Kings 3. But as we kind of get into this, I, I want to kind of look at some things. And again, this is going to be more of a teaching, um, but I, I want us to understand that this is an interesting thing that takes place here. This is a, a, a story that is, is very interesting because, and we're going to get to it in a minute, but, but it's interesting because what God does, what Solomon does, and what we can really learn from it. It's interesting in my world because I, I, I deal with a lot of different people, and I, I deal with a lot of different people in lots of different walks of life, both in a spiritual sense and also in just a physical, normal, everyday life sense. And I've sensed that there are times where I can, there's people that just seem to, I don't know how to get how to put it this way. I, I, I was trying to figure it out how to, to put it because I don't like the way I'm going to put it, but this is the best way I can put it. But spiritually, they just seem to get it. You know, it's like they, they seem to, to always understand a little bit more that God seems to be working a little bit more in their life. And, and a lot of this message is going to come from these questions that I've been asking. He's like, why? why? Why do we see that? Another thing that I always look at is when Scripture says, listen, you're going to do great things. You're, and Jesus says, you're going to do greater things than I did. I tend to go, I want those greater things for me. Why, why can't I see those greater things sometimes in my life? Why is it that, that, that we see Paul do all these great things? Well, why, well, I think God wants to do those things in me and in you. And why sometimes do we not always see those things, even though the same God who did those things in the New and Old Testament is still here today and wants to do those things today? The same spirit that lived in Paul lives in us. So what's, what, what gives? What's the disconnect why is it that, that at times I kind of feel like in my own life, I'm missing some things? And I really want to look at this together. And we talked about this a little bit last week. And this is kind of how this is going to kind of piggyback from last week. But we talked a little bit about this, this idea of what I call the conditional promises of God. Scripture has a lot of what the, I call these conditional promises of God. Now, here's what I mean by that. It's not that the conditional promises of God are in basically a way where I control the narrative or I as a human being control God. These are things that God has set in place. He is the author of these promises, but we have to understand that we take part of in them and we're a part of bringing these promises that God wants to bring in our lives into fruition. There's a couple of them I want to look at just to give us some examples and this is laying some groundwork and to go back now to 1 Kings. But here's the deal. Look at Matthew 7, 7 and 8. This is what Jesus says. He says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you for anyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks, the doors will be open. There are many conditional promises in this verse that Jesus gives us. He says simply this, if you ask, you will receive. But you have to understand, we have to ask first. If you seek, you will find. See, these are promises that God says, God says to you, if you seek after me, you'll find me. That's a promise. But we have to take the first step. We're the ones who begin the process of asking. We're the one that starts the promise of, of looking. We're the pro we are the ones that start this whole thing out. 
Look at Luke 6.38, another conditional promise of God. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Conditional promise. You give and God will respond. You serve and God will respond. You love and God will respond. Now, there are other promises in God's word that are not conditional. They are God will do this, period, end of sentence. It don't matter what you do or anybody else does. But there are promises where God says, listen, I want you to take the first step. Okay? It's very important that we understand that. Okay? Because some of us, we're screaming for the promises of God, but we're not taking the first step to allow those promises to be fulfilled in our hearts and in our lives. Okay? When I was in college, I, I've talked about him very little, but he was, he was an unbelievable theology teacher. His name was Dr. Purdy. And I had theology one, theology two, theology three, theology four, theology five with Dr. Purdy. Got to know Dr. Purdy really well. Yeah. And, and I'll be honest with you, like theology, although Dr. Purdy was an amazing teacher, it, it wasn't like the most fun. I mean, I'm just going to be honest, it was kind of dry at times. There were some subjects that was really, really cool, but, but others that was like, wow, this, 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 yeah, I don't think Jesus knows this and I don't think he cares either way. Anyway, so we were sitting in those classes and I remember one day he was talking about this kind of concept and he made this question, he asked the class, and theology class was always a great place for these kind of weird questions, okay? And he asked this question to the entire class. He said, if you played a game of checkers with God, would God cheat? And so I'm going to pose that question to you. Don't answer it out loud. Just think about it for a second. If you played checkers, God came down out this afternoon and said, hey, listen, um, you know, maybe you're, you're fasting lunch and you're not going to have any time. For, you're not, you have plenty of time. So how about we play a game of checkers in your fasting time? And you say, sure, God, I'll go get them. You go get the box. You put it out. You pay. Would, would you expect, do you think God would cheat? Well, here's the deal. Most of us, unless you're thinking it's a trick question, would go, no, God wouldn't cheat. God's God. God's going to be fair. I mean, you know, first of all, you'd lose because God's not going to know all the, you know, what moves you're going to make. But, you know, just go with the story here, okay? Go, go with the story. And so he asked that to the class. And, of course, the class, very hesitantly, because we were scared to make the wrong answer, said, no, we don't believe God would cheat. And he said, I agree with you. But then he continued on. He said this. He said, but how many people yell and kick and scream for God to move in their life? And God's response to them is simply this. I can't. It's not my move. It's your move. You get it? So many of us are playing that game, I guess, with God. And we're sitting there, God, God, why won't you move? God, why won't you change this situation? It's simple. God won't cheat. It's our move first. These conditional promises of God are promises where God says, when you move, I'll move. And here's the thing. Like, sometimes you know me. We're going we're gonna to strip it all away. And we're going to sometimes get down to the brass tacks. If you have a hard time doing this... I'm going to explain to you probably why this is. It's because you really have a hard time trusting God and his promises. And here's the deal. I'm one of those guys too. Okay? Like, I look and I go, I look at Luke 6, 38, and I go, God, are you really going to give it back? Press down, shake. I mean, like, really? God, if, if I seek you, will I really find you? And the answer is yes. God's promises are yes and amen. But a lot of times we have to be willing to make the first move. And when we do, God responds with his promises every single time. So let's go back now to 1 Kings. Let's go back to the story. Because again, a lot of this message came from me asking questions and why did this happen and how and all these sort of things. And so I had a simple question as I read through 1 Kings 3, the, the scripture that we read earlier, and it's this. What causes the creator of the universe to ask a question? Seriously, think about it. How many times in scripture do you see God asking questions of people, but in this instance... God asks a question of Solomon. Look at it with me. 1 Kings 3, 5. That night, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. And God said, what do you want? Ask, and I'll give it to you. 
What a question. What an unbelievable moment. Like, can you imagine the creator of the universe coming down and asking you a question? More so, what would you answer? He says, he, he, doesn't, say, he doesn't say, listen, ask and let, make sure it's really spiritual. Make sure I'm really impressed with how you answer. He says, I don't care what it is. Whatever you ask, I will give it to you. And I have a simple question. What did Solomon do to have God ask him a question? I, I want to have a relationship with the Father where God asks me a question. Because something happened. We all know the story of the dream. We all know the story of, of basically Solomon being wise and how he got that way. We may not all understand why God asked a question. He didn't ask David a question, his father. He didn't ask Paul a question. Not like this. He asked Solomon, I want to know why. I want my life to be that type of a life. I want to be, have my life changed in that way. Well, I believe the answer is just in the verses ahead of it. Let's look at it. Look at it with me. 1 Kings 3, 2 through 4. This is what it says. At that time, the people of Israel sacrificed their offerings at a local place of worship, for the temple honoring the name of the Lord had not yet been built. Solomon loved the Lord and followed all the decrees of his father David, except that Solomon too offered sacrifices and burnt incense at the local places of worship. The most important of these places of worship was at Gibeon. So the king went there and sacrificed a thousand burnt offerings. Okay, now to get this, to really understand this, this is where a lot of this teaching stuff is going to come forth. Now some of this you may know, and if that is the case, great. Some of it you may not know. So let's look at this together because I think this is where a truth really lies that we can apply to our lives, okay? So we're going to look at this section together. So again, if you have your Bibles, be here in 1 Kings 3 because I'm going to revert, refer to it several times, okay? Scripture talks about this place of basically this high place. Now let me explain to you what's going on here. At this time in Israel's history, Israel does not have a temple, some of us know this, but Solomon eventually will build a temple. But at this time, there are several places that are basically called high places throughout the land of Israel where you could go and offer sacrifices. God talks about these places, I think in Deuteronomy 26, I believe, and, and talks about um, what they are and how they can be used. And, and if they're defiled in any way, then they got to be not used and all these sort of stuff. But basically, that's what's going on, Okay. The most important high place at this time is a place called the high place at Gibeon, okay? Now, what makes this place special is that at this high place, the tabernacle is there, okay? Now, for those that don't know, the tabernacle is what God commands Moses to build in the wilderness, okay? At this point... Basically, uh, in Israel's history, they had traveled through the, the, the wilderness for 40 years during that before they went into the promised land. And God told Moses to build this tabernacle. Uh, some translations call it the tent of meeting. Inside of the tabernacle is the presence of God. And he dwells there basically over what and they put the Ark of the Covenant and all that sort of stuff. So as they have moved through the, the wilderness, the children of Israel pack up the tent and they move it to where they are. Then they reset it up. So basically, as they have now moved into the promised land, this is where they have set it up. This is a very important place in Jewish history and a very important place in Jewish religious mindset. This is where they would go to offer sacrifices to God. Okay, And they could do it other places, but this is the one that's probably the most important. This is where Solomon went to make his sacrifices and also where David went to make his, again, before the temple was built. After the temple was built, basically by Solomon, then all of these uh, religious sacrifices were then given at the temple and these high places kind of went away a little bit. But it is where we see some controversy later on with the Samaritans and, and all these sorts of things that we won't get into today, okay? So this is kind of the situation. But also to understand this, we need to stop a minute and look at the sacrificial system. Because I don't know how many times, literally, in 20 plus years of ministry, I've had young people and old people ask me the same question. Why in the world 
Because, I mean, they read the Old Testament and they, and they go, why in the world were they killing all these animals? What, what is the deal here? I don't understand. And we need to look at this together because to understand all of this in the way that God wants us to, we have to kind of have some, some background. So to understand this sacrificial system or why God allowed these things to take place and why God commanded them to take place is really simple. You see, back at this time, the sacrifice of an animal was a temporary covering for sin. Okay? We know this. We've seen it in the New Testament. But the wages of sin is death. And so what would happen, what God commanded his people to do, is that basically they would have to sacrifice an animal, depending on who you were, your social status, would depend on what type of animal that you would sacrifice and all those sort of things. But you would come and you would give a sacrifice to God. This is very important that we understand this because it obviously also here in a minute, we'll see, goes into the New Testament as well. But God commanded them as a temporary covering for their sins. And there's different types of sacrifices, and we're not going to get into all of them this morning, but we'll get into Solomon's in just a minute. And so basically what we're seeing here is that there is a temporary covering for sin. Now, let's look at this because this is what we see again in the New Testament in Hebrews 9:22. Again, some background to help us understand. Hebrews 9:22 it says this, in fact, According to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Okay? So what God commanded is basically, you are going to need to give a sacrifice to me to work as a temporary covering of your sin. Now, to understand even a little bit deeper about this sacrificial system, we need to look at some things to help us to see and understand a little bit more. So there were some rules that you had to follow. So these are your notes. I want you to understand these things because again, this also helps us see in, in, in the New Testament some other things that we'll get to in just a minute. So there were some rules that needed to be followed concerning people's sacrifice, okay? Number one, the animal needed to be spotless, okay? What that means in understanding the context is simply this. It needed to have no defect. This was your best, Okay, your absolute best. It wasn't like you'd go to look into your lambs and go, let's find the one that's lame and, and sick. God required that the sacrifice be your absolute best, your spotless lamb or dove or whatever. Okay, so that's the first thing. It had to be spotless is what scripture says or without blemish. Second, the person offering the sacrifice had to identify with the animal. Okay. Now, Aaron, how do you identify, what is God trying to get us to understand here? Basically, what the person had to do was understand this. This animal is dying for me. This animal would live if I had lived a sinless life. I did not. I messed up. I didn't meet God's standard. Therefore, to cover my sin, this animal has to die. It was an identifying thing. The third thing is the person offering the sacrifice had to be the one that sacrificed the animal. So not only did you have to bring your best, that would cost you a lot. Remember, you look at the Old Testament, and listen, they don't talk about like, so Abraham had a bunch of money in the bank account. Okay, you see that? Jacob didn't have a bunch of money. They say how many flocks he had. How much livestock. That was like, wow, that showed some wealth. So you had to give your best to God. You had to identify with the animal. And then one step further, you had to be the one basically with the knife. The priest, they would do other things after that. But you were the one who had to take the life of that animal. You go, man, Aaron, that is, that's, 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 that's kind of rough, man. That's like, really? Yeah, really. You know why? Sin is serious, folks. It leads to death. And separation. And God wanted his people to understand that. For their own life. But for something that was coming. Because there was something coming. That would be even greater. 
One of the first people to recognize it in the New Testament was John the Baptist. Look what it says here in John 1.29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know why we don't do this anymore? Because Jesus came. He was the ultimate sacrifice. Hebrew tells us that he died once and for all. For us, that we can be made right. We don't have to worry about a temporary covering anymore because of what Jesus did. Now we have an eternal covering because He came and He was that spotless Lamb of God for us. Thank you, Jesus. He came and He died for us. And here's the deal listen, just like the rules. I would encourage you to understand those when you think about Jesus. Jesus was the spotless, sinless Lamb of God. But also, He died because of me. It's my fault. You get what I'm saying? Like, it's so easy. Oh, you know, sinner over there. Sinner over there. You know, horrible person over there. No, no, no. Jesus died for me. For my sin. And you know what? I wasn't there putting the nails in his hands, but I might as well have been. Because if he was there for me, if he was there for my sin, he sacrificed for me. It was my sacrifice so that he died so that I could live. And so this whole sacrificial system that God put in place He knew he was putting it in place for a temporary time because one day the Son of God would come, the Lamb of God would come, and that he would take away the sins of the world. Not not temporarily, but permanently. Once and for all. So to understand all of this, we need to understand kind of the situation. Where he was, what he was doing, why he was even giving sacrifices. However... We also need to understand what type of sacrifice he was giving, okay? Because it's very easy for us to go, okay, well, listen, we're under grace. We're under Jesus. We don't have to sacrifice anymore. Listen, there it could be nothing further from the truth. He's there, and he's giving what Scripture tells us is a burnt offering. There's grain offerings, there's burnt offerings, there's sin offerings. And each offering had a different purpose and usually were given at different times. But when you understand what a burnt offering is, it becomes even clearer why God begins to ask these questions. Okay? But I want you to first, I want you to kind of get into your head what this must have sounded like and been like. Now here's the deal. For a person to give a burnt offering, this was either either an animal like a bull or a lamb, but if you were poor, God made provisions, and basically you could give a dove, which was very inexpensive, okay? So it was all sorts of different animals here. So we don't exactly know what animals um, were sacrificed by Solomon. All we're given is a number, but because of who Solomon was, because of his wealth as a king, we're probably talking about lambs or livestock in some way, shape, or form, okay? So you're here at Gibeon, okay? God, to give a, a one of these burnt offerings, most people would give one animal, okay? One animal. Sometimes if you were really kind of cuckoo, you'd give like two, okay? So you're showing up, you're at Gibeon. You're sitting there, you're hanging out, you're giving your offering, man, you're about ready to go, and all of a sudden, the ground begins to shake underneath you. You go, what is going on? You turn around, and all you see is just a cloud of dust. And up comes the king with a thousand animals behind him. And he begins to sacrifice. Remember, who has to sacrifice? It's Solomon. The king is there and it's just one after another, after another. After, you're just sitting there going, whoa, 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 what's happening? Look, look at the fanatic. Look at the crazy man. God, God only requires one. What are you doing? Another and another and another and another. You see, here's the thing. When a burnt offering was given, it could be used for a general covering of sin. 
But there were also sin offerings that were a little more inclusive, if that makes sense. But when you gave a burnt offering, it was usually given for this reason. It was given as an act of worship. It was given as basically an act of devotion. It was given as basically a way to explain to God that you are completely devoted to him. And here's the thing also. A burnt offering was a voluntary offering. So here's Solomon. He shows up with a thousand. And you go, yeah, but he was the king. Remember what it took to do this. It had to be his best. So he took a thousand of his best. You go, well, it wasn't his best. Number two was not his best. Yeah, after one was gone, number two became his best. So he just kept going and kept going. And this is just this unbelievable action of devotion and worship and admiration to God. He just begins one after another, after another, after another. I guarantee you people were just sitting there going, what is he doing? But you know what? It's interesting that the very next verse is verse 5. That night, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. And God said, what do you want? What do you want? Here's the deal. And this is in your notes. And this is really the idea and the concept I want you to get. This is after all this about sheep and lambs and burnt offerings and temples and tabernacles and all these things. Here it is. This is, this is, this is, this is take this home with you. Write it on your wall. Write it on your heart. We have a choice when it comes to God between the common and the uncommon. You see, here's what I found in our churches, and unfortunately, I will only speak for myself a lot of times in my life. I do the common thing. I do just enough. You know what I've never had someone off come to me and say? And I'll use money because that's an easy thing. We all understand it. I have never, ever, ever in 20 plus years of ministry had someone walk up to me and say, can I give too much to God? Never once. I could tell you the 50 times I've had people walk up to me and say, how much do I have to give? What's, what's the minimum amount that I have to give? I've never had somebody walk up to me and say, I, can, I, 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 I want you to tell me I can't serve anymore because I'm serving so much. Never once. I've had people look at, I've had say, hey, we'd really need you to help in this area. No, I can't do that. Why not? I don't have the time. We have a choice to make between the common and the uncommon. You see, here's what was common of the day. What was common of the day was you would show up at the high place with one offering. And you'd bring it before God. And here's the thing. God appreciated that. It was what God asked for. There was nothing wrong with giving the one animal. It was all, God was pleased with that. Scripture says in Leviticus, it is a sweet aroma to God. But you know what I've learned? Is the common, the doing the minimum, doesn't get our Father's attention. The common, let me, let me get, I'm going to put it in today's world, okay? Here's the common for most Christians today. The common is you come to church when it's convenient. You read your scriptures when you have to, or you, maybe, maybe you're teaching a class or something. Oh boy, I better, I better figure out what God's word says. You pray when you're in trouble or you need something. You give, depending on how the month was and how much is left at the end of it. You serve in only the areas that you feel completely comfortable in and don't take up too much of your time and keep you, because uh, we're in Colorado, and keep you from getting to the mountains as much as you want to in the summer. That's common. And here's the deal. Listen, hear me here. Hear me. Hear my heart. There's going to be millions and probably billions of very common people in heaven. They love the Lord. They've accepted Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, hey, you're not going to get saved if you don't do if you're just common, we, you, you get the choice here, guys. This is a conditional thing. 
You, this is a conditional thing. But what I have found over and over, remember we started like, why, why, does, why does this thing happen to Paul? Why do these things happen to Peter? Why do these things happen to Gideon? Why do these things happen to Moses? What, what, is, what is the deal here? Here's the deal. The deal is that those people didn't do the common thing. They weren't satisfied with just enough. Just squeaking by. They said, you know what? We're going to go for it. We're going to go all the way. And here's the thing about these stories. These aren't people that sometimes don't do it kicking and screaming. God says to Moses, I want you to go back and lead my people. Moses makes every excuse he could possibly come up with. It's not like Moses is like the burning bush. Go back. Let my people go. And Moses is like, yes. I shall go. Charlton Heston, no. Think of a weakling. That's Moses. And a stuttering one at that. That's who God chooses to lead his people. And he's going, I don't want to. I don't want to. God gets so frustrated with him. that he Fine, Aaron will be there with you. Isn't it interesting, not to be mean to myself, but, you know, the guy with the big mouth is named Aaron. And he goes and he does amazing things for God. Because God said, are you going to do something uncommon for me? Listen, listen to what it says in Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. Do not be fooled. Do not fool yourself. God cannot be mocked. He can't be fooled. A man reaps what he sows. Listen, this is it. This is the bottom line. Write it on your hearts. Write it on your mirrors. Write it on your sticky notes. Write it in your heart. I don't care. Get it in your heart. When we do the uncommon for God, he does the uncommon for us. If you want God to do something this year that is going to blow your socks off, you're going to have to do something uncommon for him. You're going to have to be willing to say, you know what? I've never fasted before, but I'm going to do it. I don't know exactly how it's going to work out. I may not be perfect, but I'm going to step away from the common and I'm going to do something uncommon. For some of you, it's going to mean, you know what? I'm scared to ask, talk to somebody about Jesus. I'm scared to invite them to our church. I'm scared to experience this because uh, they may reject me. They may say they don't like it. They may look at me as I'm a weirdo. But you know what? I'm going to step away from what's common for me and step into the uncommon so that God can do the uncommon thing through me listen here's the deal I can't tell you what's common because everyone's different everyone has a level of common and then there's a level of uncommon here's the deal if Solomon had showed up and given 10 sacrifices it would not have been uncommon for him he was the king but for a poor person to come and give two doves which were about two pennies, that would have been uncommon. You see, each of us have a different level of uncommon. And here's the deal. Too much, too much is given, much is required. And so for some of us that have been walking with Jesus a long time, our uncommon is going to look a lot different than others. And I'm going to challenge you, do not question and do not judge other people's uncommonness before God. Don't do it. Because you don't know. Your job, if you want the miracles of God to break forth in your heart and in your life, is to do the uncommon thing. For Solomon, it was a thousand when one was required. It cost him a lot to do that. It cost him ridicule. It cost him financial loss. But Solomon said, I don't care. I don't care. And here's what's interesting. Solomon doesn't do it to get something out of it. It's simply a voluntary act of love and devotion for God. Because we see in verse 2 that Solomon loved the Lord and followed his decrees. And because he loved God, because he followed the decrees of God, he said, you know what? I want to voluntarily do the uncommon thing. And God responded with an uncommon question. What do you want? What do you want? Listen, I don't know about you. I want God to ask me 
for this year? Aaron, what do, you, what do you want for Broomfield Assembly? What do you want for your relationship with your spouse? What do you want for your family? What do you want for your community? You see, God is not a respecter of persons, which means God doesn't play favorites, which means if God will ask Solomon, God will ask you. Don't fall to the lie of the enemy that says, oh, no, 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 no. You're not like Solomon. Oh, no, you're not like Paul. Oh, you're not like this person or that person. No, 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 no. No, don't listen to the lie. God says, if he did it for Solomon, he'll do it for you. But Solomon did what was uncommon before God. And God did what was uncommon for him. So many times in our lives, we will sit there and we'll ask God, to do certain things. God, will you do this? And sometimes, they're, sometimes let's be honest, they're very, very, very selfish things, and sometimes they're really awesome, good things that, we, that we, should, we should ask God for. And we'll sit there and we'll, we'll cry out and we'll, we'll say, God, why, why won't you do this? God, why won't you bring this about? And we go back to the checkers board. And God's response maybe this morning to each and every one of us is simply this, it's not my move. You want me to move? I want to move. You see, that's the thing I've learned about God. God wants to move more in your life than you want him to. God wants to bless you more than you want him to. Listen, we, we just celebrated Christmas. You know the greatest part of Christmas is for me? It's not getting the stuff. It's giving the stuff. And I'm a father. It's flawed. I sit there and, I, listen, I have a hard time sleeping Christmas Eve. And you know why? It's not because I'm like, oh, I wonder what Emily got me. No! I'm excited about what I got Emma and Easton. I can't wait to see their faces. Because I got them some good stuff. Some stuff they didn't even think about. Like, they, it's one of those things, you know, it's like, like, I didn't know I needed this. And then they get it and they go, oh! Like, yeah, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you after service some of those things. I got some good stuff this year. But you know why I was excited? Because as a father, as a husband, I was excited about giving good gifts to those who I love. Jesus said, how much more does your father in heaven love to give good gifts to his children? God is sitting there going, I want to unleash the uncommon in your life. I want to unleash freedom in your life. I want to unleash love and grace and goodness in your life. But it's your move. Some of you, you go, why won't God do this? And God's answer to you is like, because you just simply won't take your finger and move the piece. But if you will, wait and see what I'll do. If you'll seek me, you'll find me. If you give, it'll be given back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over into your lap. All these things are promises of, of God that are yes and amen. But listen, I've seen it over and over and over again in Scripture. If you do the common thing, God will do the common thing back. When we step out in faith and in trust and we do the uncommon, God will do the uncommon back because God will not be a debtor to anyone. He won't. He won't. And a lot of times we think about debt, we think of money, and I want you to stop that. That's part of it. But listen, when you, when you give of yourself to someone else, God will give of himself even greater back to you. When you're there for someone else who's going through a difficult time, God's presence will be even more real and more present when you are going through a hard time. Or he'll not just send one person to comfort you, he'll send ten to comfort you. That's up to God, God does it. And remember, this isn't we're doing it and forcing God. This is God's plan. This is God's law. This is God's promise. He's the one that said this. I didn't go to God and say, God, listen, if I seek you, you have to be found. He didn't say, I didn't say, God, if I give, you have to give it back. And you better press it down, shake it over. It better be in my lap. God said it. It's God's promise.
you know what? I think it may be time for us as individuals and us as a church to start being willing to do the uncommon thing. Because here's the deal. There's a, there's a thing out there, right out there. You can read it when you leave. If you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always gotten. And I think maybe it's time to do the uncommon and watch God be do the uncommon in our lives. For some of you, today is the first day of the fast. That's, that's a very uncommon thing. Some of you maybe have done fasting before, and that's awesome. Maybe this year you need to step it up to another place. I don't know. Ask God. He'll show you. He'll speak to you. But listen, I know that some of you are asking God for some very uncommon things. And I'm here to tell you, I believe God wants to bring those things into your life. But it's your move. It's your move. And I trust and believe that God will be true to his word. I trust and believe. Listen, one of the greatest things as a pastor that I get to experience is when you trust God and then you come to me and we celebrate together. You do something and you say, I'm stepping out in faith. I, I don't know if we should do this because this is a little scary, but I'm doing it. And you do it and God responds in powerful, uncommon ways. And then we get to celebrate. That's one of the greatest things I get to experience as a pastor. And I believe that in 2023, God has a plethora of those things just waiting to hand out to you. But it's your move. For some of you, it's a thousand animals need to die on the altar. For some of you, it just needs to be three. Whatever it is, God wants to speak to you in this moment. And then it's up to you. Remember, a conditional promise is on you. But I believe God's promises are yes and amen. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. We'll close this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just come to you right now. And God, as we begin this, this 21-day fast, the bottom line is, is that's not real common. There's not a lot of people that fast anymore. There's, there's honestly not a lot of churches that, that call for fasts. There's not a lot of places that'll do it for 21 days. And I know there are. I know there's, and that's great. There's churches that do 40 days. That's awesome too. But God, the bottom line is, is this is not as common as it used to be. And Father, as we begin this fast, Father, I pray that there will be people that will do this that have never done it before. There will be people who will step into their uncommon with you. And, and I trust and know and believe that you'll respond in uncommon, powerful, life-altering ways. But Father, right now, I just pray that God, through your Holy Spirit, that God, that you would just begin to reveal to us our uncommon thing during this 21 days. God, what are you calling us to do? And maybe it's for 21 days. Maybe it's throughout the entire year. Maybe it's a daily thing. I don't know, God. You are personal. You, you know each heart, and you'll speak to each one individually. But God, I am asking that right now, through your Holy Spirit, you just begin to speak to our hearts and help us to see what is our uncommon thing. Father, right now, God, as we open our hearts to you, begin to share that with us. Thank you, Lord. Share that with our hearts, God. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Father, we understand that you desire to move. You desire to unleash the uncommon in our hearts and lives. You are not a respecter of persons. If you did it for Solomon, you'll do it for us. You want to. You desire to do these things. But, Father, it's our move. So, Father, I pray not now for strength and determination to do what you have asked us to do. 
God, I pray that the uncommon thing in our hearts, in our lives, would be the new norm for each and every one of us. That, Father, we would move from a place where we are content and an apathy and just basically, ah, just enough. Just as long as I just barely do enough. If I can just make it to heaven by the skin of my teeth, that's all that matters. God, I pray that that attitude would go back to the pit of hell. And instead, Father, we would be so in love with you. We would be so devoted to you. We would be so in awe of you that, God, we would just constantly be looking at ways to live a life that is uncommon before you. And though, although we do not live our lives to have you do things for us, we know what you have promised and we accept that promise right now. We cling to it. That says, what you reap, you'll sow. And so, Father, we are sowing today and throughout this time in the uncommon areas. And we look forward in expectation to the uncommon things that you will do in us and through us. God, thank you for this time. God, as we, again, as we enter in to this 21-day time of prayer and fasting, God, I pray that you would just help us, give us strength, give us the ability to stand firm, and Father, help us to allow this time to be what you desire it to be. Change us. Help us. We love you and we thank you. You are so good and we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Listen, again, 21 days, we're on day one, okay? I know you can do this, okay? I know it's going to be hard. Okay, if it was easy, everybody do it. Okay, we get that. Okay, but I know you can do this. Okay, so listen, be at prayer on Wednesday. Listen, the reason why we're having prayer at this during these times once a week is because man, there is something encouraging about coming together when you're fasting and, and encouraging one another. You know, it's not that you have to be like, so how's your fast going? But just to pray together is, 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 is food for our souls. Okay, if that makes sense. Okay, so if you're able to be here, be here um, on Wednesday. Remember, it starts at 7, and uh, I just really believe that God's going to do some great, mighty things through this time, and I hope that you're going to join with us in that, all right? So have a great week. If you need anything about your fast, remember, you can call me, talk to me, or there's stuff online as well, all right? Have a great one. Thanks for being here. For those that are online, we love you. We miss you. We hope you're doing well. Join us in your, if, if you're fasting with us and you want us to know, let me know. I'll, I'd love to know. And, uh, but if you're fasting too, you can do it. We know you can. Love you. Love all of you guys. Hope you have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.